Welcome to the New England Football Show Special Edition. Tom Brady retires. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkchen. And tonight we have a very special guest for you. Jonas Gray, former Patriots running back, joins us tonight. We're going to talk to Jonas and get his thoughts on Tom Brady retiring, Brady's career, Jonas playing with Brady, and, and get his thoughts on not only Brady's time here in New England, but also what he thought of Brady's time in Tampa. Jonas, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, fellas. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind of uh, NFL news in the last day or so. So uh, yeah. I'm be with you guys. Yep. It really has. It's it's crazy, and that this league, it's the league that never sleeps, right? I mean, that they're literally in the news cycle, twelve months out of the year, some way, somehow, they find a way to 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 uh, take control of the news cycle. So, obviously, Jonas, let's just jump right into it. Tom Brady finally announces his retirement. Of course, it was announced over the weekend that he was going to be retiring. Uh, Brady's camp comes out, refutes that. His dad comes out, refutes that. The Buccaneers come out and refute that. Uh, but he comes out to this morning and announces on an Instagram post that he is, in fact, retiring, which is a little bit of a surprise because here we are thinking, all right, he may end up dragging this out for a period of time, but he really didn't do that. I didn't think he would retire a couple of days after the news came out. Were you surprised by the fact that he retired today? Uh, yeah, I was surprised with the timing, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, him having to, you know, use so many different sources to refute something that, you know, a few days later, he's going to just stay himself. Um, but I think that's Tom. He wanted to kind of have his own narrative to the story and kind of end it on his own terms. And that's what he was able to do. So it's surprising to a certain degree because of the time span, I think, you know, during a couple of days, but having the news come out there and getting everybody kind of warmed up to it, kind of seeing the reception he was going to get. I think it made it a lot easier and a lot real, more real for him um, just to be able to say those words or, you know, put out that final statement um, and let people know that, that he is in fact a tire. Were you surprised that he's retiring given the fact that he, he may have had arguably the best season of his career in 2021. Are you surprised that, he he's walking away and not playing one more year because for a long time he talked about the fact that he wanted to play until he was 45. He didn't do that. Does that surprise you? Yeah, I think um, as a competitor, it surprised me um, just given the fact that, you know, what we know about Tom is, um, you know, he's always in it to win it. And I thought that he was always setting them. He still had an opportunity to win a Super Bowl even this year, like you were saying you know, playing at the highest level, um, even this season, you know, having MVP talk throughout the season, you know, if it not been for injuries to uh, Chris Good Godwin or the Antonio Brown uh, fiasco, we might be sitting here talking about Tom going to the Super Bowl again. So um, it was actually really, really tough to see him actually give it up, knowing that he had such a great year and had another opportunity to win it. That, that's a tough pill to swallow. I was curious um, for sort of your experience as a teammate of Brady's because people all the time talk about, um, you know, how he leads by bringing the entire team with him. He doesn't just make himself better. What What is his leadership style like as somebody who's playing with him? 
you know, I thought, you know, it was a, it was big on, you know, all the things that you need in the leader, you know, sacrifice, you know, self-discipline, you know, um, you know, taking preparation, you know, very extremely serious, uh, really just leading by example. And I thought he was really good at that, um, you know, always trying to, you know, show people his routine um, by the way he carried himself and the way that um, he welcomed other teammates, you know, that leadership style being as welcoming, you know, knowing that, you know, he had this larger than life stature, you know, people come in, oh, that's Tom Brady, oh, wow, that's Tom Brady. But he was such open, you know, as a as a teammate, as a person, he was very open. And they gave him the ability on the field to kind of ride you if he needed to or to expect the best out of you all the time. So um, I thought that was his leadership style. It was, I'm going to be a real person every single day to you. I'm going to show you how I work, you know, even at the top of my game. Um, and I hope that you can follow. And if you can't follow, I'm going to make sure to get that out of you while, as, as long as you're here, as long as you're a part of this organization um, or as long as you're a part as, as my teammate, um, so to speak. So he was he was just big on leading by example. Jonas, the relationship between uh, Coach Belichick and Brady has been talked about ad nauseum for years now. Um, as someone who saw it every day, what was that dynamic like? You said between uh, Bill and Tom? Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, I thought that it was mostly, you know, uh, workmen's like, um, I thought there was times where I could see um, that, you know, Tom kind of wanted to be seen as a decision maker like Bill. I could kind of see that, um, you know, that kind of, you know, Tom wanted to be treated as the CEO, just like Bill was kind of treated as a CEO, someone who helped, you know, build the organization. Um, you know, I did see, you know, a little bit of Tom wanting that more, um, but I also was on the team when, uh, you know, they had just drafted Jimmy Garoppolo, and Tom had just came from a sixth interception game against Kansas City, and everybody was calling for his head. Um, and I remember even then, you know, uh, Bill would, you know, coach him up just like he was any other player. So a lot of it was, um, you know, there was definitely a mutual respect um, in terms of, you know, I, I, I think I need to be at that stature that you're at um, in terms of what people see from me. You know, I thought Tom was looking for that from Bill. But there was also that, you know, that great player-coach relationship. Um, I think that they never, um, especially on the field, they never did anything to not show that. You know, Jonas, when you think of Tom Brady, he's this larger-than-life character. He's certainly someone who – you listen to other players talk about him, and there's just so much reverence there. And you often wonder, I mean, does this guy, does does everybody that played with this guy love this guy? But if he was so tough and so demanding, I would imagine that there must have been times when, I don't want to say that that graded on his teammates, but if you're not playing at his level, it, it's hard to get to his level, but was that tough as a teammate to have to live up to that standard every day? You know what? It, it was tough to live up to that standard. Um, but at the same time, you knew that that standard was not only going to be best for you, but that standard was best for the team. And so a lot of times you, you looked at, you know, anytime he pushed you or anytime he was demanding that you would all the time see the fruits of your labor. Huh? You would get a chance to see, yourself making big plays in big games or, um, you know, playing in the fourth quarter when they need it or winning Super Bowls. 
Um, so I thought that, you know, he, he was really good at, you know, just letting you understand, like, there's a grind, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be this way because your best is required, you know, when we need it. Um, and so I thought that, you know, that was a great way to always be, um, you know, because th that made guys really focused on, you know, all the things they could do outside of, um, you know, trying to be great for Tom. You know, what can you do to really be great for yourself in order to be prepared to play with a Tom Brady? Um, so, you know, him, that that type of leadership style, you know, being on top of you, being demanding, uh, you know, if it was just, it was proof in the pudding, so you didn't, you didn't argue against it. I'm curious about his competitiveness. Um, it is legendary, like, like everything else, but what did it ever come out in strange places, like in the locker room or playing cards or anything like that? Or was, or was he really somebody that knew how to turn it on and turn it off? No, I think for the most part, he was always competitive. Um, you know, even, you know, in terms of, you know, running to the, or, or walking throughout the building, you know, just getting to the next place. He was always trying to get there and being, being where he needs to be at before anybody else. Um, so you kind of always knew what his routine was. Um, and I actually remember one time, you know, during the off season, we would kind of have, a, you know, a mini combine with a lot of the veterans that were there. And we'd do all the similar things you do at the combine. You know, we wouldn't test our 40. Um, or we wouldn't do, you know, bench press 225 or anything like that. We'd still find different ways to, you know, we still do our uh, three cone shuttle or, you know, uh, five, ten, five. And we were all in there one time doing our five, ten, five. You know, everyone's trying to beat their personal record. Um, people would just get a number and they'd be satisfied. Uh, but at the end, after everyone was done doing all the drills, Tom was the very last person trying to do his five, ten, five, trying to beat his personal record. <laughs> uh, this might have been year 14 and he kept doing it and kept doing it and he would always ask what was my time what was my time and he'd take a little break go back at it we'd be all talking on the side and you know just talking about whatever and we'd be next thing you know we'd be there another 20 minutes because he was trying to beat the 5 10 5 record so that's incredible he was just maniacal you know like that like i think he answers that you know that age-old question like can you really do that every single day like, you know, or does this really get annoying when you get fans and you get, you know, all these different people and all these different teammates? And, you know, that's why it's weird to even think about him retiring um, because of just how much he loved the game and almost every aspect of it became a part of him. Um, you know, even just seeing Tom in the locker room became kind of the folklore of playing with Tom. Um, so it's just weird to even see him retire. I, I I don't actually see him like I can't see him actually giving it up forever. I can see him taking a year or two off and then trying to come back and play. <laughs> wow. I, I can really see that. Yeah, that's weird. Like a Jerry Rice, like yeah, Marv or you know, those guys they they just love football so much and then like we've been talking about. He went out on top. You know what I mean? Yeah, how can you go out on top? Um, I can see, like, you know, just think, maybe if there's, like, some expansion team in a few years and he has some ownership, I can see Tom <laughs> deciding to put it back on, playing a couple seasons or playing a season or something just to, you know what I mean, just to get back out there. Um, I just, I can't see him. And then he didn't even utter the words retirement. 
No. <laughs> right. No, we didn't. <laughs> I, that's why I'm like, I can, I, that's tough for me to actually think that competitive person who had a chance to win the MVP, his last touchdown was on the number one corner in the league. <laughs> yeah. That's that's exactly. tough. That's tough there. You know what I mean? I'm like, I, I don't know. That's that's rough. I have. I, I want to ask you this real quick. I know before Kevin asked you his question, that you bring up an interesting point because a couple people, friends of mine, have said to me that, you know, that do you think that the reason why this retirement went the way it went is because he's not actually done that he could pull a far potentially retire become a free agent once his rights are renounced and then try to sign with whoever he wants to sign with and play with. I mean, you, you played with him, you were around him, you know him a hell of a lot better than we do. You just kind of alluded to that. I mean, is that something that you could potentially see him doing or is that just wonky conspiracy talk? You know, I, I always just look at it in terms of, like you're saying, in terms of me knowing him, but also even bigger than that, just kind of understanding that what it takes every single day to be at your best. And then to find someone who has kind of eclipsed that, who has found a way, who has not found like kind of like the magic pill, but kind of found the formula to success. When you're always playing at your highest level, how do you actually give that up? Now, I know you have, you know, your, your wife and you got your family. And I, I know, I even thought then too, that was going to be a big part if he did retire. But after a year, after two, when you're getting on her nerves about different things that you want to do and, you know, different things that you can't find drive with, like football gave you, you that's when you, just like Joe, do, I mean, just like uh, Michael Jordan did, you know, you get into ownership. Um, you know, the next thing you know, you want to play for the team that you might be owning. And it's like, I can really see that happening where <laughs> it's the right opportunity. He's a free agent. Maybe it's a year down the road. Um, you know, he's had a chance to be around his family. He's coached a few of his kids' teams. I mean, even Philip Rivers floated with coming back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I just – and it was a lot, for the, a lot of the same reasons. He left still playing at a decently high level. Not your normal Philip Rivers level, but enough to where people would give him an opportunity, especially, you know, in the middle of the season, towards the end of the year. You know, if he has some ownership with the team or – I mean, even Peyton came back. I know he had his, his neck injury is a little different, um, but, you know, I'm just I, – I, I can't see it. Those guys that are, like, the very best at what they do, you had to literally almost drag Jerry Rice off the field. It was pretty much like, Jerry, yeah. you can't do it anymore. You got to stop playing. Yeah. And Tom, like, I, I can see, the you know, his family playing a big part in why he wanted to do this, and that's kind of why it was kind of forced upon him. Um, in a way, because he didn't even, like I said, he didn't didn't even utter the words retirement. I can definitely see him coming back in a year or so. <laughs> Jonas, uh, Josh McDaniels just took the job with the Vegas Raiders. Um, he was probably one of, if not the biggest constant, you know, during Brady's career. How helpful and how much um, does Brady owe his success to Josh McDaniels? Uh, I think a lot. I think um, Josh was really great at um, really playing to Tom's strengths. Um, and they kind of really worked great collaborating and coming up with new ideas. And, you know, they were just really, you know, a, a great marriage between the two. Um, they, they were speaking a lot of the same language. Um, you know, he, 
he knew a lot of Tom's strengths and his favorite plays. And he was really great at also getting the strengths out of offenses that weren't as great. So, I, you know, that's how you know, you know, uh, that Josh has something to do with Tom's success because, you know, they never had all the top receivers, you know, you know, most years. They even had, you know, different running backs coming in and out, different tight end combinations. And um, he always found a way to make it work. Um, and he was really one of those standard bears, just like Tom was in terms of that Patriot away. Uh, Josh was, you know, just as much, of, you know, a stable in terms of you feeling like you always had a shot to win because you had Josh McDaniels. You felt like that because you had Tom. Um, so uh, he definitely owes a lot of success. And um, I, I really honestly think I've had a lot of coaches um, play on four different organizations. Um, and Josh is one of, one of the smartest coaches I've ever been around, with, without a doubt. You know, Jonas, we see all the highlights of, of during games with Tom Brady, and we see him – talking to the offensive line, trying to get guys going, you know, not, don't quit, do this, do that. Is that really what he's like on game day, or is that just that moment when he's on the sideline and he's, and he's trying to encourage his guys? Is he constantly like that, or is he more of a cerebral? Was he more of a cerebral, hey, when we're in the huddle, here's the play call, let's go get it done? Or was was he a rah-rah guy? That, that's really what I'm asking you here. I think that's a great question. I think he was more of he kind of felt the pulse and the trigger of the team. You know, if there was a time where he felt like I need to talk to the O line because you know the last couple of drives they've been getting the boat, or last couple of drives we've been we've been having a look at these things that we also practiced all week they haven't gotten. So you know, he was more of let me feel the pulse of the team and kind of then I'm gonna give you my rah rah. Um, you know, if, if he ever felt like the energy in the locker room was off, you can hear him say, he'd scream, let's go. Like he'd get, he'd get guys going right away. So he wasn't a big rah-rah guy because he felt like, and I think this was a part of his routine as much as he respected the other guy's routine that maybe that didn't work for everybody. Um, you know, so I, he didn't really try to be that way from jump um, all the time and, you know, kind of have it come off and be a little corny sometimes. So he was more of, let me fill the post of the team, pick and choose um, the right times to really get get whoever I needed. Because a lot of times, sometimes he would have individual conversations with people that needed to hear it. Um, and so he he was rah-rah when you needed him to be. What was it like the first time you met him? Uh, uh well, you know what? The probably the first time I met him, he was I, I can't even remember. That's how he was, though. He didn't make that experience memorable because he was just a normal guy. Um, you know, if it had been something where it would have been like, man, this guy kind of blew me up, I would have remembered that. You know what I mean? He was just a normal guy. I think I might have actually given him some trash, talked some trash to him about Michigan football and Notre Dame when <laughs> I first met him. And so that, that kind of softened him up a little bit. Um, and we actually we struck a quick conversation about Notre Dame and Michigan, and I let him know I was from Michigan, um, and that was the first time we met. Um, but you know, he he really was such a great teammate, and I know one of the things I missed the most from being on the Pats with him, especially, is those um, Christmas gifts. Tom had had the best ones, man. <laughs> <laughs> he, he'd have the best gifts. He'd literally have a full box of just beats, and he'd just oh. like open it up and be like. Hey, you guys want anything? 
And wow. We, yeah. I mean, yeah. stuff that, like, is just coming out a few years ago that we had in, like, 14. Wow. That's and awesome. he had, like, the Ugg slippers and, you know, full Ugg uh, win uh, winter stuff. It was just, he was always the best at that time of stuff. Very generous guy. Um, and, and really was, like, he really did love all his teammates. He was one of those guys that were, like, while I'm playing with you, like, I love you. I want to. I want to see you do your best because that's only going to help us. Um, so he was really, really, really was a great teammate, and I think that's what had a lot to do with his statement, not mentioning the Patriots a whole lot, because I think that's what like the kind of teammate he was. Like I just got done playing for the Buccaneers, this city just welcomed me. I'm going to make this statement really about my teammates I just played with, in, in this chapter of my career. Um, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take anything away from um, him not mentioning the Patriots. I feel like a lot of that has been beat down, especially even when he came down this year. Um, so I don't know. What do you, I don't know? Whatever you guys think, though. <laughs> uh, I'm curious because I know he's respected, but how is he viewed by the other players around the league? Because um, he's such a great player, obviously going up against these guys, you know, what was, what sort of the, the major takeaway from the other players around the league about Tom? How do they view him? Ah, you know what? A lot of them view him as obviously a great competitor, um, as, as almost uh, for teams that unless you've got the best of Tom or you competed against him a lot, the Denver Broncos, Pittsburgh Steelers, Indianapolis Colts teams and, um, you know, the Eagles to a certain degree, you know, things like that. Unless you competed with him on a normal basis, he was mo he was mostly an enigma to a lot of guys around the league. They were kind of like, here's this guy who just is perfect, does everything right, eats right, plays right, makes the right decision. And there was a good portion of people because of how perfect he seemed, immediately called him a chief. Um, there was a big, I think there's a, a bigger portion of probably most people think of the league who thinks that Tom Brady cheated and that he is a, a cheater at, at some degree. Um, it was even, you know, guys when I was playing on the Jags that were, you know, saying things like that. And, you know, those are more teams that you never really got a chance to compete against Tom every year. Or, you know what I mean? You didn't know that a lot of that just came from hard work. He was just more of an enigma to you. Uh, like, you, you know, he was the biggest name in the league. So uh, I think for the most part, that's that's what it was. He was an enigma to most guys. Most people that had a chance to compete against him, they they quickly to call him the GOAT. People that competed against him on a normal basis and have played against him, <laughs> nine times out of 10 are calling him the GOAT. I think the rest of the people, he's just an enigma to them and, and to, to a small section of the league. Some people think he cheated. Jonas, a few minutes ago, you said um, he respected other guys' routines. Uh, and that made me think of Alex Guerrero. I'm curious if you ever had any interaction with him and, and maybe how much you think he may have helped Brady um, along with Josh Potatoes. I mean, to be honest with you guys, meeting Alex Guerrero and working with Tom and having a chance to work with TB12 when I had my few injuries and um, during that time, when I was on the team, uh, Mr. Kraft was 
during the season, he was paying for guys to go over to TB12. You know, it was the rules. You had to see the trainer first, but then you were always allowed to go over to TB12 and it was all Mr. Kraft done. So I really took advantage of that. And I used to go all the time. And to be honest, like that changed my life. Seeing how that type of high performance training and recovery um, has created the basis for a lot of what I do now in my own personal business um, in terms of, you know, training athletes and helping them recover. Um, you know, Alex was the biggest reason why Tom got to year 22. Uh, and you don't even see that a lot of times. And that's what's so great about Tom. Like, you know, you got it. Some, you have it a lot in the NBA. You have guys who have their own body people who go with the team, who are at every game, who have a little bit more access um, than you might think. Um, but you don't really have that a lot in the NFL. You don't have guys that literally have a trainer that is there with them 24-7 or for the most part throughout the season 24-7. Um, and that definitely played a big part of his longevity. And what Alex does and the work that he does, um, I, I, I think it's the best I've seen. And I've worked with all the top people and at every different level. Um, literally, I, I love what he does. Uh, Thomas Rogers checks in. John, I really like this one. Jonas, thanks for no uh, th thanks for this, knowing you've been on the other side. So, uh, Tom, thanks for checking in. He's talking about the fact that you're giving people some perspective, some insight into Tom Brady that they may not have known. I I'm curious, what was his reaction towards you after your legendary game in Indianapolis on Sunday Night Football? He was just so excited for me. Um, I remember after the game, I brought my mom over to speak to him, and he was just so happy to meet my mom. And he gave her a big hug. And he was like, your son was balling out today. He he was just, you know, such, such a gracious person. Um, and, and that's how he was. Um, he was always just, you know, he just kept, you know, talking about how big of a game it was and how happy he was for me. Um, that, that was all he was talking about. Yeah, he, he's such a sweet dude. Um, one thing I wonder is, uh, Brady is, um, you know, you, you as a fan or something like that, you only see like a the one side of him, the football side. But did did he have like a good sense of humor too? Because I'm sure he does, but like you never really saw that. Yeah, yeah. Tom Tom was a bit of a ball buster. He wasn't, you know, too too crazy with it, but. He, he did have, excuse me, he did have a lot of his jokes. And then, you know, having Edelman and Gronk also with him, like they made him a lot more, you know, immature. He used to joke around a little bit more with those guys because of how, you know, their personalities. Um, so that you did see a lot more of that side of Tom, especially that year, um, that Super 49 year, he was actually real laid back. Um, he played, he played music all the time and stuff like that. Um, uh, Tom was actually, he was, he was real cool. He was real cool. <laughs> Jonas, that 2014 season, uh, was sort of the reboot, you know, the second part of that dynasty, but it wasn't guaranteed that that was going to be, you know, the way things worked out. Um, that was obviously a stressful year with Deflategate and all that. How did he kind of manage everything swirling around him and and what did you learn about his um i guess his composure 
Yeah, you know, he was always good about it, just keeping everything about the work. And I think that's um, one of the biggest takeaways that I had from him personally was just that, you know, when, when everything is going crazy around you and, you know, there's all this uncertainty and things like that, you just got to go back to the work. The thing that you know more than anything, just go back to your routine, hammer it out, do it better than you've ever done it because everything will pass. And so I remember just watching his work ethic during that entire time. You know, he, he was, he stayed low key with a lot of different things. You know, he didn't go to the white house, things like that. And uh, a lot of it had to do with just him just being focused on the work. Um, and, you know, a lot of people talking about, you know, just like I was talking, calling him a cheater. Um, I think that he took that very personal. Uh, and so during that time, like just to see somebody, you know, use that as an advantage, that was that was really cool to see. You know, obviously people have often wondered about his relationship with Bill Belichick and it's well-documented. Um, you mentioned earlier as well that it was a business relationship. Were there any times in your time in the organization, were there any moments where you saw that relationship go beyond business, where there was a certain level of, of, of a personal relationship there? Or was it just literally coach, player, he treated him the same as he treated everyone else on the roster? You know what I saw? I think I saw him just treat everyone the same. Um, I think maybe if Tom had been a defensive player, that may have been a little bit different. <laughs> If Tom had been uh, Teddy Bruschi for 20 years, you know what I mean? I think that would, would have been a little different. But I think because he was on the offensive side of the ball, um, that especially was more of the reason, too, why they kept it as a business relationship. Um, you know, he was he used to get really close with, you know, guys like Gerard Mayo and uh, Devin McCourty. You know, like, so I can imagine if he's been on defense, maybe he was, you know, seeing that crossed a little bit more in that end. But for the most part, um, they were just mostly, like you said, a business relationship. One of the things I um, wondered about with Tom is when he becomes as, as accomplished as he is, as famous as he is, it could sometimes work against him in the locker room. You kind of want to be one of the guys, but you're not at the same time. How, how did he sort of maintain that humility in the face of being such a famous guy? I think he was just really good at speaking to a lot of people. Um, and what I mean by that, like, he never walked past anyone without saying hello. Wow. Um, and I think just some of those practices that he had in terms of meeting new people and, you know, trying to seem down to earth, as soon as he saw people, he would say hello. You know, people would ask him for random things all the time. It'd be practice squad players that come up to him and say, man, can you sign my helmet? You know what I mean? Hey, can you sign this for me? Or, hey, can you uh, FaceTime my mom? And, you know, things like that. And yeah. he would be always open to it. And that's why I was like, it's so weird that, you know, a lot of times people ask you, one of the first things they ask you if you play for so long, you know, I played my six years, and people always say, did it ever get boring? Or did it ever get annoying when people call you a lot or text you a lot? And I just couldn't imagine for him. You know what I mean? Like, and he never showed that that got annoying. Um, doing all that, you know, all the work that he did in the community and meeting people and all the autograph signings and all that stuff. Tom really never stopped any of that. Um, so and I think that was the part about him was that he just stayed level-headed in terms of, 
you know, just just trying to be one of the guys, but just speaking to everybody, you know, not trying to single anybody out or, you know, leading with his work and treating everybody the same. Uh, I think that was like just a great formula for him. Jonas, playing in front of this fan base is not easy in any professional sport. Um, did you guys ever talk about, you know, the pressure and demands of, of playing here? And did he ever, you know, kind of ever implement that it might be, you know, getting to him at all? Or, or did he love it here, truly love it here? He truly loved it here. But I, I remember for the most part, I think a lot of the guys, and I don't remember Tom would say it as much, but I remember quite a bit. And guys felt like maybe the fans sometimes were a little spoiled. Uh, of course, um, you win in as many different sports and as many different organizations and franchises. And, uh, you know, you have as many, you know, boat parades as, as New England has. You do get a little entitled and you are used to seeing your team do the best. And um, when that doesn't happen or when, you know, we went on those losing streaks and we're losing to Kansas City and, you know, they were getting all the questions about, you know, is is Garoppolo the next player? And we were just on the Cincinnati. And I remember during that time period, it was just like, uh, the feeling was like, man, what else can I can he do? I, like for them to actually get off of him. What else can this team do for them to give us a chance to fix it? You know what I mean? So I think there was a lot of, you know, people felt like the, the, the fans were really great, but they were also sometimes a little entitled and, and their expectations were, were really high um, because that's what the team did. They, they created those expectations. So it's tough. You know, Jonas, knowing what you know of Tom Brady, when he left here and went to Tampa, in your mind, how did you think that was going to go? How did you think that was going to play out? Did you believe, again, based on how well you knew him, did you think, you know what, it's Tom, he's going to go there and it's going to work? Or were you, like the rest of us, curious to see how it was going to work? Because there was a lot of people that looked at that situation at that time, of course, when he signed there in March of 2020 and said, hey, you know what, is he a fit in Bruce Arians' offense? Arians likes to push the ball down the field. Uh, you know, he, he's never played for an offensive head coach. There were a lot of questions. In your mind, knowing him like you did, did you think – it? him going there or anywhere for that matter, it was going to work because he's come or did you have some reservation? I, th I thought that um, anywhere he was going to go, it was going to work. Um, it definitely helped the fact that they, um, you know, had some great pieces in place, um, especially in the receiver spot. You know, this, you know, he had one of the most talented receiving cores he had in his entire career. So I definitely thought that, um, you know, that gave him an advantage. But I just knew in terms of how Tom, like we've been talking about, a lot of we've been talking about is culture. <laughs> and I knew Tom, with, wherever he was going to go, he was going to affect the culture. And sometimes a lot of these organizations and teams, that's what they are waiting. They're just a culture difference, a culture setter away. Um, like a person that can come in and really change the organization, change the future of the team um, in a consistent, long-term way. That's what a lot of teams are missing. So I, I, I always knew he was going to have success no matter where he went. I was actually nervous about a, a few different places, him probably having even more success. Um, but um, I always had a, had a good feeling, especially when he chose Tampa Bay. I was a little nervous as the season went on, when it was ups and downs and Bruce Aarons was calling him out and things like that. I was like, whoa, I don't know if this is going to work out. Um, so I did have a reservations with that, but 
you know, Tom's one of those guys that he's so great about making things work. You know, he just did whatever he's given. And I like I think that's just ingrained in him. You know, I think about, you know, times when, you know, during our off-season training program, you know, there'd be guys that were banged up and recovering. You know, Julian Edelman would be out. And, um, Brandon LaFell would have a toe injury. And Glock would be recovering from his elbow. And we'd look around and it'd be just all practice squad guys out there in time. And I think that, like, he just never, okay, the standard doesn't change. Let's go. Let's play. Let's do. And I feel like that's how he is wherever he's going to go. Whoever he's playing with, he's going to bring the standard up, raise the culture, raise the play, the players around him. So I knew he was going to have success. You are watching slash listening because this will also be converted to a podcast. The New England football show special, Tom Brady Retires. We are joined by former Patriots running back Jonas Gray. Jonas, we do have a comment here from Stephen Rogers. I haven't read it yet, but heard that in announcing his retirement, he thanked many people in the Bucks, not the Milwaukee Bucks, but didn't even mention the Patriots or even Kraft. Now, I know earlier, Jonas, you said that you think the reason he didn't mention the Patriots in his retirement statement today was simply because he's living in the moment. He finished his career as a Buccaneer. He's thanking the organization, Bruce Arians, the Glaziers, his teammates. You strictly think it's that that it was that there's that there's nothing else there that he wasn't trying to spite the Patriots in any way. Well, I think that I think that it, it it was a little bit of both. No, I think that it was more so that he was living in the moment and he was just really thinking about really reflecting on his these last few years and having a chance to basically, you know, in a way restart his career. Um, so I think he was just reflecting on that. And so I think that's why he, um, you know, just addressed really just the Bucks. But I think using that picture um, from <laughs> Foxborough was also a little poking the eye to the Patriots, too. I think in that reflection of what he's gone through in those last couple seasons and going to a new place and kind of restarting and resettling himself, he started thinking a lot about, the things that maybe frustrated him about me. Um, and so I think that's why he, you know, part of it was I'm living in the moment, but part of it is on purpose. Um, I want to let them know I'm living in the moment. And I'm thanking huh, the team that took, a, took an opportunity on me, the town that welcomed me. Uh, so I think it was more of that for him um, to kind of give them their own special shout out. So I feel like it give me a lot of time to reflect on his time with the Patriots and, There'll be ceremonies and there'll be, you know, a lot of things for him in terms of the Patriots. But he was just, you know, giving giving way to someone that gave him a home temporarily. So just to recap, you felt that people around here, to a degree, that the reaction in general nationally might have been a little over the top. And I do agree with you. But at the same time, I think you, you know, and I think you make a valid point. I'm, I'm with you all the way that he wanted to thank the Bucks in that moment because that's who we finished with. But it's, it's also interesting to me that you think that, you know what, he might have also kind of been, you know, taking a little bit of a jab at them. Why do you think that's the case? If you, if you had to guess, obviously you weren't around his last year here, but why do you think he would take a jab at them? Is it just his competitive nature because he didn't finish here? I think this is part of just the reflection process. Um, I think, you know, once he started thinking about what kind of got him to that point, 
what kind of got him, you know, both to Tampa Bay and what he's, you know, kind of accomplished on his own um, and winning a Super Bowl. I think that was kind of like his final saying, like, you know, I did it on my own. Um, not necessarily I did it without you guys, but I did it on my own. Um, and I think that was more of his, you know, more of his kind of last point, you know, <laughs> to have that that um, picture beat when he came back to New England. I think that was his last point in making that, you know, I was able to stand on my own two feet. Um, and in retrospect to the other guy that they can, that, you know, they compare him to, <laughs> He was able to stand on his own two feet, and that's I think that's what he's saying. You know, when when you reflect on your career, you know, you think about things that, you know, maybe decisions that you didn't make the best, but then you start thinking about things that you did do when you did put your best foot forward, and you maybe wasn't given as much credit. So I can see maybe he was a little frustrated with that as well. Now this may be a little off topic, but I think you have one of the coolest hobbies out of any NFL player that I've talked to in that this stand-up comedy. And, <laughs> and now I was always, I've, I have a friend that has t- tried it. He said the first time he went on stage, he basically had a panic attack because that's how intense it is. What, what's it like being in front of an audience like that and cracking jokes? It's gotta be very difficult. And how, how have you grown as a stand-up over the years? It, 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 you're right. I mean, it is tough to go on and go on, to not know, you know what I mean, the reaction you may get or not know what the crowd is going to be. Um, sometimes you get a chance because sometimes you may sit around in the crowd before you go out there and get a feel of your energy. Sometimes you're backstage and you can maybe just hear the crowd so you don't know what the demographics are necessarily. You know, if your black and white joke like, would necessarily hit with, the, <laughs> with this type of group. Um, so you start, you know, you, that is nerve wracking in that point. But a lot of times when you can be comfortable um, and, you know, try in, in your comfortability to kind of invite the crowd in. And what I mean by that really is just maybe talk to somebody in the crowd, you know, maybe just have a small conversation. Like, where are you from? You're from here. And then strike up a, a quick conversation to invite them to make them a part of the joke. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things I started doing is just, you know, really just being a part of the crowd that loosens me up. That gets my first couple of jokes going. Um, but I, my very first time ever doing it, I did an open mic night. I was 17. I couldn't even, I wasn't even supposed to even be in a bar. I had a fake ID. <laughs> I had a fake name. <laughs> and I, I bought my first couple of jokes too. Um, I, I think I was talking about um, the little small rappers and like Orbit Gum, how it's hard to get them out. And like nobody laughed, and I remember I was just up there like it's really hard. And folks <laughs> right here, they kind of grab me some gum. I'm like, I'm telling you, I, so it's funny or funny. So you just you find a way to get through it, and you, you hope a couple of your jokes hit. You know what I mean? You just as long as you can get a two, three good laughs off a good, good couple one-liners, you feel like you accomplished something. Nice. <laughs> That's great. Well, Adam just can't be a tough pivot, but um, I got one more football question for you, and. You mentioned the Kansas City game and on to you know um, on to Cincinnati. There's been a lot of stories and and hearsay about the relationship with Jimmy G and Brady. You know we've heard stories that um, he wouldn't even let him in TB12. You know he had the doors locked. Um, just what was that relationship like between those two? And 
was there any animosity or was it just friendly competition? Ah, that's tough. That's tough. That's tough. Because I think that there was a little bit of all of it. I think there was some animosity and there was some healthy competition as well. And I think at different parts in times, if you can tell and you probably think they became different things. You know, there was a time in the, in the beginning and throughout the season where it became a healthy competition. And then I think there was a time where it was like, you know, because of the perception and because of the talk around um, New England, around the sports talking people and the sports talking heads that maybe Tom was done, he even himself, I think, purposely made that animosity type of thing. And I don't think it was like really against Jimmy. It was just like, it could have been anybody. It could have been Brian Hoyer. And I think, you know, it could have been anybody. It could have been someone they just drafted besides Jimmy. And I think he would have felt that same type of way. Um, well, I think that it was a healthy competition that, that did eventually turn into animosity. And I think it eventually, I don't know this for a fact, and I, and I could be wrong, but I think it eventually did turn into him or me type of situation. Do you think that that, that being the case, do you think that that might have been kind of the beginning of the relationship with him and the organization, particularly Bill Belichick souring, that maybe that was the beginning of him, even though they were having success, that that might have been the the, the the seeds might have been planted for him to start to think, hey, you know what, long term, this is a business. I, I, I may not finish here because you hear conflicting things. Some people have said that he wanted to finish here. He said as much uh, after they beat Atlanta. But then you also hear a lot of other people that have been around the organization that said that they felt or they knew that it wasn't going to end in this fairy tale way, that ultimately he was going to finish somewhere else. You know what I think? Um, I think at some point the writing began to be on the wall for him in a lot of different ways. You know, I think first it, came, it became like as he got older and he started to kind of understand the front office side of the business, because a lot of times I think, and this is just me, this, you know, kind of being in Tom head probably more than I am <laughs> um, or trying to think I know him better than I probably actually do. But I think at the beginning, he didn't really have a whole lot of fun that front office experience. So he kind of looked at it as this is a cutthroat business. Sometimes you lose guys, sometimes guys stay. But then as he got a little bit smart, he's like, why are we letting this guy go? Why are we letting this guy go? And very similar to kind of the Aaron Rodgers thing, you know, we letting the key to lead go. We're letting this guy go for no money. We're, we're, you know, we're cutting deals here. I have no receiver here. And I think of, you know, that him understanding that he didn't have as much say with the front office and decision-making in terms of personnel. And then, you know, as we got later on, you know, down the road, um, I, after the whole thing happened with Alex, it was like, you know, I, I don't have the type of respect that I think I deserve here. I can't do anything I want in terms of personnel. A lot of my good friends, you know, they've been gone. They've been treated badly. They've been released and dumped by the wayside. Like, I've seen guys that I thought we could have kept leave. You know, of course, we've all done it for winning, but, you know, was there maybe another way we could have done it? And then, you know, my best friend, the guy who, uh, you know, to actually take him away from the building and the way that, you know, he operates, it actually stops my routine. And, you know, this whole time I've been talking to you guys about Tom's routine. 
Now, if someone tries to come and take away from his routine, he that's almost like you're taking food off my table. You literally. So it, it was that bad with Guerrero, though. Did you see the tension that you, you when you were in with the organization? Yeah, I did. I did. I seen it um, eventually building because, like I said, they gave a lot of guys the leeway to go to TB12 and pay for it during the season. And a lot of the training staff, not that they disagreed with what was going on, but they didn't always the, – the, the plans weren't always and the goals weren't always aligned. You know, a player maybe wanted to get back faster than the medical staff wanted him to be back. Um, so TB12 was doing something to get him back on the field even faster than maybe the timetable that the trainers had set for him. So I could see that really building. You know, there was, was even times when I would go to both places and I would spend my time in the training room. I would hear guys say, you know, some of the trainers even, you know, whispering, oh, you went to TB12 and, you know, I, I could see that becoming a problem because there were more guys electing to go there to recover faster than being in the training room. Um, so that that I could see that tension building. Um, and I can see, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, Bill really relies on is his training staff in terms of knowing when he can get guys back, knowing if the guy is seriously hurt or not, if the guy should practice, you know, because that involves – all of his decision-making outside of the team. Do we bring this guy in for a workout if we're dealing with this injury? You know, we have to put this guy on short-term IR. Oh, do I need to bring in a bunch of linebackers to come work out? Like, so there's constant things that he needs to know from an injury standpoint, as you guys obviously know. So when he wasn't getting those things happening, that created more tension for him. Um, so I could see all of that building um, for sure. And even, you know, during the time when, you know, before um, Josh McDaniels came back, you know, the period with Bill O'Brien, there was some attention there in terms of, you know, calling the plays he wanted. And, you know, when you're that stature and, like, eventually the respect thing becomes a, a, a big, big thing for you because you, you, you can't do anything personnel-wise. Or when you do, you maybe don't get it the way you want to, um, you know. And then – you had Bill O'Brien yelling and screaming at him in his face. And, you know, that's a whole respect thing. And then, um, you know, you come down later and then Alex Guerrero, his best friend, who he gives a lot of credit to his business partner, is no longer, you know, allowed to have the access that he's always had. Um, you know, and now Tom's having to change his routine to try to, you know, make sure that everybody's happy. So what does he got to do now? He's got to go down to TB12 every time he wants to get work out. Like, he wants to get worked on. I, I, I that, that can't be good. Because Alex was literally there in the locker room when Tom had a 15-minute break to do work on him. When Tom had a 30-minute break to do work on him. So, like, to actually take away from his routine like that and the thing that's helped him with his longevity and kind of disrespect someone that he respected, I could see all that coming to my head for sure. I think one of the more interesting things of his career was how it was kind of becoming realistic. Not not realistic. I mean, more realistic than anybody would think that Tom could play until he was fifty. Like that was the thing that like that that crazy number that nobody else could touch. 
I mean, who knows? But it seems like the the guy's still playing well at forty. What forty four? Um, but like, do you think he could have realistically done that? I mean, a lot of times, and I was just laughing about this earlier because a lot of times towards the end of your career, when you are really getting old and it's starting to show, you had a lot of you have a lot of those soft tissue injuries. You get right. the hamstring, you get the calves. Yeah. You get lower back strain, and I, the way that he trains and the way that he focuses on, you know, uh, you know, the mobility and that flexibility and all that stuff, he was never gonna have any of those soft tissue injuries. And I can't tell you the last time, other than you know, he had the knee issue last year, um, you know, last year's playoffs. Uh, and, you know, he had the knee injury, you know, uh, with the year of Castle. Other than that, I can't tell you any time he had any real serious injuries. And he's been really good about, you know, um, playing in every game and finishing every game and playing through thumb injuries and playing – you know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> – of course he could have played till he was 50. And, like, to see him play at that high of a level and to know he, like, literally never gets hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, at least not the way old men do. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's great. Jonas, final question here uh, from us for tonight. We talk about legacy and Tom Brady's legacy, his impact on the game. How do you measure his impact on the game? And how much is he going to be missed? Because one of the things that a lot of people have said to me today in talking about him retiring is how much of a fixture he was in people's lives around here. So, his legacy on the game long term, and how much will he be missed next year? Wow, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think his legacy um, is going to be one that people just think about longevity in terms of somebody who, you know, did it at a high level for such a long time. Obviously, I think of the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, some might even say the greatest player of all time in any sport, the greatest winner of all time in any sport. So he's going to be known as like the quintessential, you know, what it takes to win, you know, the barometer for winning <laughs> at its best, you know, for a long time, you know, Don Shula, and, you know, they kept talking about that was the the barometer for winning, winning as a head coach. And, you know, uh, and now it's Bill and, you know, Tom as a player, he's going to be the barometer like a Michael Jordan is or how you can really compare yourself as the best player. You know, all these great quarterbacks that are coming up, um, you know, they're going to be compared to Tom. And then all the great quarterbacks that are coming 10 years from now are going to be compared to Tom. And so that's what his legacy will be, is one that really is immeasurable. Uh, that, you know, what he did for the game in terms of, you know, really getting people to understand that um, it is, in a lot of ways, you know, sacrificing all of yourself and having a great discipline. And that's kind of the only real, you know, magic pill. That's kind of the only real formula um, to, to real success that kind of guarantees success is having that great routine, um, you know, eating right and, you know, having a great pre pre workout routine, the post workout routine, and um, you know stretching and training, and you know working out with a helmet in hot weather in the off season, getting with other 
getting with his receivers to go throw places. Like he started all of that. Um, so I think just the preparation um, and the, the lifestyle, the preparation, the playing games, and the lifestyle, what it takes to be the best, that's what he's going to be really remembered for. And that's kind of his legacy to the game. Jonas, this was awesome. Really appreciate your time, my friend. Uh, some tremendous insight. And and the one thing I appreciate about when you know when we have you on is your candor and your honesty. You don't you don't pull punches. You answer the questions, and uh, we really appreciate that about you. And uh, again, like I said, this was awesome. I want to thank you for taking your time to join us tonight. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, thank John. You, All right, that is former Patriots running back Jonas Gray talking about Tom Brady's retirement today. Well, that'll do it for this New England football show special. Tom Brady retires. For my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin, and for Jonas Gray, I'm John Serenitas. Until next time, peace. See you.